What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, hello. I just startled the baby who is on me. Today we are doing quick tips on how to integrate sensory with Gestalt language. I'm super excited for this. And I just spoke so loud. You probably see if you're here live. We got Teddy on my belly and Chris is currently locked in the boys room <laughs> with the three boys. So that is what he is doing right now, and he is under strict orders not to come out. We will see how he does. But today we are going to be talking all about tips for integrating sensory and gestalt language with Katya, who is here right now. And let me bring her in. Hi, Jesse. Hi, baby. <laughs> Hello. Okay, I'm so excited to catch up with you just because it's been so long. So I'm so yeah. glad that this worked out. Me too. So... First of all, congrats on your private practice. That's been like a little less than a year, right? Or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been like a year and a half that I've had the practice, but I get the keys for my space tomorrow. So I'm super excited. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay, I have to know what percentage of your clients find you on social media and then come to you? Um, probably 90%. Um, yeah. That is so crazy. I was just thinking about that because when I started my practice, there wasn't like social media was a personal thing. It wasn't a professional thing. Yeah. So I just, that's so awesome. Congrats. That's amazing. And how exciting your clinic. Oh, it is exciting. Yeah. Social media is a nice way to market because people, it's easy to attract like-minded families because they already get a sense of what you're about versus just finding your website. Um, so yeah. It's totally. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm so excited to talk about this just for everyone's kind of background. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong on this timeline, but you went through the sensory certificate course and then you started like diving really deep into Gestalt language. And now that's basically like all you're doing and specializing in. Yep. Yeah. I don't know which came first. I think they were pretty uh, simultaneous, but yeah. That's awesome. So I would love for you to kind of share, like, maybe we'll just go more general of like, what therapy was like for you before you were doing any of this stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I knew I wanted to specialize in working with autistic students, but, and I had a background in doing behavioral therapy. So I felt like somewhat comfortable with these kids. But you know, that those methods that I learned there were very different than what I'm doing now. Um, I never really loved like tabletop work or um, that kind of thing, but it is what I was gravitating to because it's what I was taught. Um, 
and I mean, as you know, just the way dealing with behaviors, um, seeing them now through a sensory lens versus before through um, a very different lens of like, yeah, that that has um, been the biggest shift, I think, is um, understanding the, the behavior piece from a sensory lens. And then also, yeah, I, I mean, incorporating those strategies at all um, during my sessions. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. The behavior one is huge because, and I think it's like kind of a relief for therapists when you realize like, okay, there's a reason this is happening, you know, because we put so much of our heart into what we do and we get so emotionally invested. And when we see these like quote challenging behaviors, we start to blame ourselves, like what's going on, what's wrong. And it's just in reality, we're looking for whatever unmet need is not being met. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you how often I hear that from families online and I'm sure you hear the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a, a bonus of doing child-led therapy is I rarely see those things anymore because I'm not trying to get a child to do something that doesn't, isn't fun for them or isn't the way that they're truly um, naturally learning. So that's a, a nice bonus is those things don't really come up all that much, but when they do come up, um, I have way better tools to um, support now. Yeah, and, and what's it like just being able to assess a kid's sensory needs yourself, like know enough about sensory to be able to do that? Yeah, it's it's great because I, I always refer um, clients to OT, but it's hard to find um, pediatric OTs, at least where I am. Um, so it's, it's nice to be able to have those at least um, basic conversations with parents about, you know, they're doing this. Um, that means they're probably seeking this thing. And here's some ways we can, we can give that to them. So I can give that um, basic knowledge um, of uh, the sensory stuff that I definitely didn't have before and then refer to an an OT to dig even deeper, but um, yeah, it's, and um, the way it, it connects to language is, is huge, so. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because so many of the times parents will ask us questions like, how do I help my kid with brushing their teeth or how do yeah. I help them like get dressed and how, so I always am constantly explaining to both parents and professionals like, here's how SLPs can help your child's sensory system. And then here's how OTs can help. And I'm like, I can give you like parenting ideas from the toothbrushing front, but I would love to send you to an OT who specializes in activities of daily living to help you with that. Um, and then in terms of like, how can I help you? I can help you with getting your child more regulated so that we can get more out of these sessions. And so that, um, they can maintain more of the state of regulation so that they could be in a better place for learning and, and all of that. So tell us a little bit about maybe like your go-to, when you, I don't know, I'm just going off the fly here, you guys can tell. And if anyone has questions, put it in the chat, we're happy to see what your questions are. But tell us a little bit about like kind of what the lens you're looking at a child through when you meet them. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely the biggest question at first is like uh, looking at their language level and then looking at um, 
how regulated they are and what sensory needs are coming up. Um, and so often I see the kids with um, more sensory needs or more dysregulation because those needs aren't being met. Um, the language piece is often for me kind of a, a second thing because, um, yeah, as you know, uh, if, that, if that regulation isn't addressed, the language is, is so much harder to access. Um, and I always just describe it to parents as like, uh, they're focusing so hard on feeling good in their bodies. How do they also have time to uh, focus on acquiring language? Because that is the biggest piece is feeling good in our bodies. Um, so it's, it's just impossible to, to separate that now that I know that, because um, yeah, that it really, until that's met, the other stuff can't come. So um, trying to focus on that piece um, simultaneously, hopefully, but sometimes it really does come first for, for some kids. Um, yeah. Yeah, I get that question, especially a lot with AAC. Mm -hmm. And I think people are like, oh, well, they're so dysregulated. What do I focus on first? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I see that a lot. Yeah. Um, that's where I see sensory stuff um, at play a lot more is with kids who are non or minimally speaking, because I think I, those kids often have a lot more sensory stuff and just a lot more difficulty um, getting their bodies to do what they want, which is likely why there's some uh, difficulty with oral words. But um, yeah, so often um, my sessions look like, okay, let's start with doing sensory things that are gonna um, get them regulated. And then we can put those on their device and help them to communicate those things that they need. So, you know, let's have a button that says tickle me and go from there or, you know, push me, let's swing. Um, these gestalts that are focused on the sensory things um, are so often the first ones that my kids are accessing because it's, it's, you know, it gives them joy and it gives them um, regulation and that's, they're, they're seeking that. Um, so it's, it's great to be able to give them easy access to be able to, to ask for those things and describe those things. Yeah, and someone asked a great question right up that alley, which is, what are some sensory strategies you can use when you know they're going to be in a situation when they're dysregulated? And, you know, mm -hmm. back to what Katya was saying, I think, and we talked about this a lot this week, we had a whole, last week, whatever week it is, we had a whole free training on this. So if you haven't watched that, you can go mm -hmm. back and watch it. It's all about meeting needs proactively, but, you know, Number one is when we have a dysregulated child, our goal is to just help them get regulated. But like she was saying, then giving them access to scripts that they could use later on to help get those needs met so that you know, okay, I'm already, I already know that this is gonna be a hard situation for them. Here's what I can do to support them in the future. And a friend of mine who's an autistic SLP, you guys have probably heard me talk about her, Jamie Boyle. She's you know in her thirties and she says that before she goes to the doctor, she has scripts that because mm -hmm. she already knows the doctor is going to be a dysregulating place, the lights are bright and, and all of these things. So she's like, I've got scripts ready when I go to the doctor. So it's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's really fascinating now that there's so much more knowledge of Gestalt language and talk about it to get to see, here's how can it help our kids and then here's can it, here, how it can translate into adulthood, you know, so cool. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Someone asked if this will be recorded. Yes, we'll record this. Yeah. And um, we'll post it. Helping kids co-regulate is how we teach them how to self-regulate, right? And my so many of my students are like always amazing me at their ability to advocate for their sensory needs. Even these really young kids, like um, a three-year-old that I work with for, for so long, she couldn't self-advocate for her. You know, I've worked with her since she was two-ish and now she's three and a half and she wasn't advocating for her sensory needs at first. We were being proactive. Like when we noticed that she was getting a little dysregulated, we would, um, you know, offer trampoline or whatever. Um, or we would give her her bunny and blankie um, before we were doing a new thing because that gave her comfort. And now um, she'll ask for those things. Like when she knows she's gonna do something new or she's in a situation that's not super comfortable, she'll ask for blankie and um, bunny on her device. And you can tell that she knows that, okay, that is gonna give me comfort and, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. These kids become very in tune when you are in tune with their sensory needs. Um, eventually they learn what they, they need to feel, to feel good and um, they can ask for that themselves. And it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing, but it just comes from showing them those things over and over again. Um, yeah, someone said they're yes. self-reg and that is one of my favorite books. Yes, yeah. yes. And yes, co-regulation is key. That's really how kids learn self-regulation. They learn it through co-regulation. They learn it through adults who are showing it and modeling it for them. Adults who are that warm, supportive, nurturing presence in their lives who are helping them work through these tough moments. And that's one of the hardest things because, you know, energy is contagious. And when we have a kid come into our therapy session who's dysregulated, it can be very easy for us to just go with the flow of their energy mm -hmm. and it really takes that moment to step back and think about okay what does this kid need right now and it's almost like we have to separate ourselves from the child because sometimes we might take it personally like oh well he hates coming here what am i doing what did i do last time that bothered him yeah. right so it's not about that it's like how can we separate ourselves from the child look at the child in a more like a objective way of like, okay, what's been going on in this child's day? And what does he need right now? And how can I give him those needs? And then from there, it's like, we can come in as that calming presence for the child, you know, instead of like, I'm sure we've all had sessions where we get caught up in that spiral. Yeah, I know I have when like a kid comes in bouncing off the walls, and I'm like, hi, welcome, let's sing hello. And I'm jumping and I'm shouting and I'm being like, the most fun person, but I'm what what I'm doing is triggering that child to just like get even more energy. Yeah. And I'm feeding off their energy and they're feeding off mine. And then all of a sudden we're both dysregulated. It's time for the session to be over. And that's like the session you walk out of where you're like, what just happened? You know? Yeah. I feel I like think I'm about not that. the only one here. <laughs> um, I think about that piece of your course yeah. often and talking about um, matching their energy or if they're coming in here, then you need to come in here or vice versa because I'm very calm and um, which works for a lot of my kids. Um, but then for the kids who are coming in sleepy and a little understimulated, I have to think about being um, more extra than I normally am for those kids. So yeah, I'm thinking about that in 
in the opposite way. Um, that's something we, I talk about in my clinic mm -hmm. all the time because mm -hmm. every, you bring up a great point, which is every therapist has their own unique personality and like yeah. natural level of energy. And I always joke on our team, we have Melanie who's like up here and then Selena, who's like the calming source for all of us. You know, so it's like, we have to be aware of the energy we're bringing to sessions. And a lot of times people will say, what are the best sensory strategies to use? And how can I start and all of this? And the easiest thing to do by far is just decide what kind of energy you are going to bring into the session. Mm -hmm. Luckily that is under your control. And just that type of energy can have a complete shift in the kids that you are seeing. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had to give everyone like a couple, whatever you want, not to put you on the spot, but some tips for how they can get started more with integrating sensory into their sessions and really helping to build that gestalt language. Do you have any like moments you remember that helped you when you were mm -hmm. in the beginning of your journey? Yeah, specifically with the like sensory and gestalt overlap. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say if whether they're using oral words or AAC, really feeding them some sensory based gestalts right off the bat is going to be really helpful. So if you're programming them in, you know, things that that they are seeking, like, let's go on the trampoline, I need squeezes, whatever it may be, um, giving giving them that language. Um, yeah, when I'm interacting with a kid that does use uh, oral words, I'm trying to, like, when I'm giving them sensory input, um, I'm really trying to talk through it all and, like, give them the words to um, use. Like, I don't feel good. Um, squeeze me. I like that. That feels good. Like, trying to really feed them that, that language that they can use surrounding these um, sensory moments. Um, yeah. I yeah, I love that because I think that if we are therapists and we don't know how to do that, how are we going to give kids the language to do that themselves, mm -hmm. you know? But we know that's such a big piece of kids being able to get regulated and build language. So if we have that knowledge, like, oh, I can tell that he really likes this or this is what he, his body needs in that moment, then we're able to provide them with the scripts that they can use to start doing that. Yeah. Um, and thank you to those of you who are answering some of other people's questions in the chat. I see a lot of them in there, which we'll have to write down so that we could get at. Um, but yeah, a lot of people asking about sensory assessments. So I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is, and same, same with Katya, like any kid who's seeing me for sensory needs, I would always already have or always recommend seeing an OT as well. Because if a child has sensory needs, that is going to affect them in many aspects of their life, not just in speech and language. So I would always have an OT, uh, OT evaluate their sensory needs so they can help them with all of the things that OTs help them in therapy. And then in our Inside Out Sensory course, we have our own sensory assessment. So that is something that we use to then build treatment plans, which then target speech and language. So that's kind of how therapists who have gone through the course like Katya are able to assess their own their own kids sensory needs as well yeah well I so appreciate you coming on here Katya and if anyone else is wanting to 
bring that sensory specialty to their practice. We would love to have you in the Inside Out Sensory course. We are enrolling now for this next month. And if you could dedicate just 15 minutes a day, you could get your sensory certificate in one month. Katya, were you in the first cohort? One of the the first. Oh, no. Um, Yeah, it was a while. And it was like a month or something you did it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of people say, like, I would love to do that. I just don't know if I have the time. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that if someone said that? I mean, if anyone doesn't have the time, it's me. And I still, I mean, I don't have kids, so I, I guess I can't fully say that. But um, I have a lot going on. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth uh, making the time. Uh, yeah. It's, I think it's it, almost like, like taking the time you're spending worrying about what you're going to do and redirecting that energy into 15 minutes I'm going to put into completing the certificate to not have to feel that stress walking into sessions, yep. you know, because it really is such a completely different way of looking at kids when you, when you go into the session and you can say, oh, this is why they're doing that. And here's yeah. what I need to do to get them regulated. And now all of a sudden I can actually do what I meant to do in my sessions, which is target building their communication. Yeah. Well, we will definitely, oh, will you mention, I know you've started doing parent meetups. Will you tell everyone about that really quickly? Yeah, um, I'm trying to do them once a month. Um, had one yesterday and it really just ended up being a Q and A parents just had so many questions um, regarding gestalt language or specific questions about their child. And it was fun. And a lot of parents um, got to connect like, hey, that sounds like my kid. Can we share strategies and exchange emails? So it was fun. And and I'm trying to do them like once a month at least. Uh, I'll probably make the next one longer because I could have talked for hours and um, could have answered questions all day. But yeah, so if you have questions about your child or you want to learn from other people's questions and stories um i yeah i i will post them in my um feed and the links are in my bio when i do have them so that's awesome because so many parents want to learn but it's like when you just post on some gigantic facebook group you have no idea like who is responding and who's giving Mm -hmm. you advice so that's awesome you're giving them the opportunity to hear from you and then other be a part of your community really of that you've built of other parents who are in there as well. Well, thank you everyone who joined us live and thank you so much Katya and till next time we will keep you posted with some more sensory tips. Thanks for having me. It was nice to chat with you. Yes. All right. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.